Is New Zealand prepared for a worsening national security environment? In the last five years, geopolitical threats have ramped up with worsening climate change, China-US tensions over the South China Sea and Taiwan, war in Europe with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and a reignition of Middle East conflict with the Israeli-Gaza war. It comes as the country's Defence Force membership has depleted during the COVID years. Intelligence agencies are also warning private sector companies about intellectual property theft and the risk of potential dual use of their technology, potentially against their own and the country's interests. Associate Professor Will Hubbard is the Director of the Centre for Defence and Security Studies at Manchester University. A new collection of essays he's edited considers New Zealand's readiness for the current, let alone future, environment. Welcome, Will. Thanks for coming in. Atamare, Catherine. So these are issues of diplomacy, as well as our military alliances and capabilities. I wonder if we could first discuss what's happened to the Defence Force over the COVID years. Fair to say people didn't join to stand around in hotel rooms or or hotel lobbies doing important work at the time, but it's not what you sign up for, right? Uh, We lost something like a third or 30% of regular personnel in the years between 2021 and 2023. Catherine, that's it. Absolutely right. I mean, it was very clear for us when we were dealing with students working in the NZDF that at the start of the year in 2020, 2021, they were working, they were in an MIQ, they were studying. By the end of the year, they'd left. Um, Mid-career officers, very, very experienced, but as well soldiers across the board. Um, uh, So a huge problem um, happening within the Defence Force across um, primarily in Army, but also in Navy and the Air Force as well. What what we're seeing in that space is is probably two things. One, um, there's nowhere to go. There's no action. Um, the the MIQ experience was pretty horrific for those staff. Um, there were st- anecdotes of them coming back from their deployment, finding out they'd been exposed, and then having to go back into isolation for another two weeks, so a long time away from their family. And at the same time, uh, those personnel were experiencing very, very low pay rates at that time, much less than they could get in the public sector. Um, This year we had a young armourer from the Air Force come and live with us for a couple of weeks just after he'd left, and talking to him about why he had left uh, the Air Force um, was really pay, couldn't afford a house, um, no opportunities in Wellington. And at that time, our economy in Wellington was going gangbusters. You could It was full employment. So uh, if you're sitting on low pay and you feel like you're not going anywhere, there's no action in that career, why not come to Wellington and change your career? Perfect time to do that. So the numbers are down. There was a long battle trying to get the pay rates up. I think there was some movement on that under the government before the, the, the last government. Uh, but are we basically short of what we need at the moment across yes. the forces? Yes, we are. So there was 400... I, I, I read there were three Navy ships just unable to be in action at the moment for, for shortage of personnel. Yeah, so I'll, um, I'll just sort of talk on capability and, and pay for, just to finish off. The previous government um, has just gave $430 million to increase pay rights at the start of this year. So there has been some money going there. But that is because we cannot supply and and and. and p- and man our existing fleet, our existing aircraft. The P3 Orions were retired early because they couldn't maintain them and uh, set up the P8 Poseidons at the same time. And we have three ships tied up. And Air Marshal Kevin Short was really clear that the response to Cyclone Gabriel wasn't their preferred response because they didn't have the capability to deliver on that space. All right. How... 
How prepared, say, would the Defence Force be at the moment for a peacekeeping deployment? Obviously, there's not one we're thinking of imminently, but it's been a key role for us in any number of situations. Were it to be called upon, how prepared would we be? How prepared would we be? It's a really good question looking at Gaza, right? Um, uh, so the the real question at the moment is can they deal with more than one incident at once? And I think the answer is not easily. Um, so I, I think we could easily respond to one event, but it's the second event, Catherine. It's the it's the peacekeeping mission, it's the cyclone in Fiji, and it's the, the tropical cyclone hitting Gisborne all at the same time. Whether we were ever able to really do that um, and to be able to address all those issues all at one time is always a big question, but now certainly not. So domestic disaster response itself on its own, stretching the services potentially. That, that's absolutely what the Chief of Defence Force said earlier this year. And it also um, raises a bigger question we see in defence documents around what is the role of the Defence Force? Is it humanitarian and disaster re- uh, relief or is it combat capability and how do they do both? And as these numbers, um, as their numbers reduce and attrition comes down, Comes, uh, it increases, we're going to have more and more challenge around that combat capability and maintaining that because HADR will be have to be the primary response. And maritime surveillance of our huge exclusive economic zone, which was, which was an, a, a part of the argument for the restructuring of the Air Force, uh, sorry, of the um, forces, including uh, losing the striker jets some 20, 25 years ago. When was the last white paper on where the spending goes? And on the structure of the three forces, it's been a wee while, so yeah, 2016 or something like that. Around 2016, 2017, we had a white paper. This year we've had two documents, a defence policy and strategy statement and a future force design principle statement, and they're in preparation for the next white paper. But these have come out under one government, and a white paper will come out under another. And the real big question there is both National and ACT campaigned on increasing uh, defence spending to 2% of GDP. It's now around 1.2, Will that still be the case? Um, what does that get us? Um, and how can we justify spending on defence when other issues such as housing and uh, that you've just been talking about or our health system and our cost of living are impacting New Zealanders? Well, here's why um, that global geopolitical situation does require us to contribute in some way and to be allied in some way to others. You know, what is the state of the current New Zealand alliances? Were there to be a serious conflict in the South China Sea or even tangentially involving the Pacific? What would the response be and from whom? So the current um, defence policy statement makes a a couple of things really clear. The first is that we only have one military ally and that's Australia. And there's increasing... um, cooperation with that's with, with Australia and, and, and interoperability in that space. So where Australia goes, likely we will go. Um, and that, that's an interesting question because Australia is right in there with the US and the, and the China-US great power competition. Um, sorry, what was the second bit of the question, Catherine? Well, what would happen were a major conflict, were a water breakout in the South China Sea? Th- these words are technical, I know, and they matter, the difference between an ally and a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> Basically, where would we turn and how would we respond? It's really, so the first thing I think to be aware of is that we would be cut off in terms of our supply of shipping from which which comes through Shanghai. So in terms of that conflict, New Zealand, before we even think about a military response, we would have to be getting our, our civilians out of those areas. Um, so you'd be thinking about the military in that space. You would have to be protecting our shipping lines and our supply of, of essential goods into the country. So before you can even think about 
conflict and engaging in that space. It's about securing our border and securing our population, making sure they're resilient against that, that um any potential conflict in that. And the reason I raise that, we had a recent exercise recently with um, some government employees in our Pacific Security Dynamics course where they were asked this very question. And really where they got to when they ran through the exercises, we don't have the capability to do anything more than secure our own nation and our own region. Do we even have that is my point. I'm not suggesting that we go up there with, you know... And, and, and start sort of rattling sabres. The question would be, how would we cope and where would we turn to even for our own defence? Yeah, so we would be stretched is the answer, and, and that's where this conversation is going. We have to turn to Australia, who's our ally, and then we look to our partners. But let's not forget that we do have an enduring and complex relationship with China itself. It's, a, it's, it's an unfortunate example, yeah. but it could be any number of circumstances in, in the future that leads to this. And it's unfortunate although it does highlight another matter, which is how we manage a relationship with, I think, still our biggest trading partner in China, and uh, a traditional values relationship, uh, to some extent with the United States and certainly with Australia. So that's another uh, matter again. But as it stands now, preparedness, were it to be, a, were it to be uh, an event in the Pacific, God forbid, or anywhere else, where do we turn to protect supply lines, get essentials in here, and, uh, if necessary, for support in our defence of our own country. Yeah, so we turn to Australia first as our ally, and then, as we see in these documents, we have Five Eyes partners in the defence space. The extent to which those relationships can protect us, if we are under threat, Uh I think we're already... um, It's too late. Just to touch on, before we let you go, there's a lot of essays in this book written by a lot of people. Another matter is the cyber warfare that may well be the warfare of the future. Uh, And intelligence agencies, our intelligence agencies, have talked a lot about this. We know they work with major utilities and major companies trying to protect their own assets. uh, And, you know, they, they are issuing warnings on many fronts about about preparedness for this. But how prepared would you say New Zealand is for a method of warfare that targets utilities rather than planes and ships arriving? Yeah, so we've seen the Russians in Ukraine test out the ability to completely close down infrastructure like that. So we know that that capability exists and that it can be deployed against nations. So it's not we're not talking about sci-fi here. We're talking about the reality to shut down uh, infrastructures within nations. It exists. How prepared are we? I think we've seen through the Five Eyes partnership um, the, the purchase of the Cortex software, and that's been used to protect our uh, institutions of national significance. Now, there's no public list of what those th- those groups are, but you can assume it's airlines, it's our ministries. Banks, but banks. one hopes. Well, one hopes, but we also have seen cyber attacks on the NZX recently mm-hmm. and on the Waikato DHB. So where exactly the institutions of national significance extends to and the effectiveness of Cortex in that space is something we don't have a clear understanding of. What's your conclusion as things stand? Uh, The phrase benign strategic environment, I think I remember it being used around 2000 just before September 11 and Afghanistan. Things can turn on a dime. We did not anticipate a few short years ago there would be a major war in Europe. Uh, And 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 it's awful for so many reasons, primarily human to see the Middle East uh, in the situation it is again at the moment. Uh, But things can turn on a dime. And 
how would you describe the preparedness strategically, if not practically, for, yeah. for, for this at the moment? So n- New Zealand has always relied on itself being at the bottom of the world as outcome of a strategic moat. We're protected Can't do that by anymore, our distance. Can we? But cybersecurity and global events have, have moved that, and absolutely yeah. right, we've talked about supply chains. We can't do that anymore. I don't think New Zealanders should feel threatened, but I think we are the environment, and we've heard the government say it, but John Key said it earlier, and it's been said in 2000, is no longer um, benign. I don't think it's threatening. I think that we feel less secure. Um, there's a lot more uncertainty. The UN isn't quite working in the same way. We see power blocks emerging in the world who are using real politics to kind of establish their power base. And we see the US supplying three three conflicts now, effectively funding Taiwan, funding the Ukraine, funding Israel. Um, and we see Russia and, and China and Iran are kind of emerging on the other side of that in a kind of so it's a it's a really tricky time. At the same time, we also have this kind of economic insecurity mm-hmm. where everything costs more, um, and when we know that we are in economic times of hardship, that also can lead to and scarcity that can lead to conflict as well. So, I think there's a good and the cost of living ties yeah, into that yeah, here as well. Yeah. I think we we feel less secure. We are less secure than perhaps we were in 2018. But the question is strategically with an incoming government. Should it come up the priority list? Often it sits down the priority list, even as a matter of reassurance, a matter of having a plan. It's a damn good start, whether or not it works, right? I think that we should look to Chris Hipkins for that because when he came into into government at the start of this year, became the prime minister, it really wasn't an interest of his. Um, but quite quickly, he was turned and sent to China, and we saw a foreign policy speech. So I would imagine that we'll see as this new government comes in a couple of months where they. Um, where they focus on domestic issues, but quite quickly a turn within the new year, at the latest, to thinking about our foreign our, our relationships, both with um, our allies and our partners, or ally and our partners, as well as um, other nations which we have more complex relationships with. Well, thanks very much. Will Hubbard is the editor of this new collection of uh, essays. Uh, he is the director of the Centre for Defence and Security Studies at Mass University. What's its title called? Uh, State of Threat, the challenges to Aotearoa, New Zealand's national security by Massey University Press, and it will be out in bookstores in the next week or so. Thank you very much.